Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11, classic text about the resurrection. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he, is spe- that he appeared to Kephas and then to the Twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. God bless the reading of his word today, and may we hear it. Will you join me as we pray together to that end? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we thank you for that first song we sang about what we believe, and music just has a way of driving things home into our hearts, so we thank you for that, and thank you for the one who wrote it, and thank you for this last number that we sang together. He is worthy. He is indeed worthy. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He is at your right hand even as we speak. He poured out the Spirit on the church, and we have been the recipients of that. And so I pray that as we hear the Word of God proclaimed and exposited, that you'll be with Pastor Mike, as you always are, but but we fail not to answer. Fill him with your Holy Spirit. Empower him to preach the Word of God with boldness, clarity, and power. And open our hearts that the Word of God may be illumined to us by that same Holy Spirit and fill us and be the, one, be the awesome, living, active Word of God that is sharper than a double-edged blade. And so, God, we thank, thank you for this opportunity to hear the Word of God together in person. We thank you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Encounter Church. <clears throat> thank you, Pastor Dave. Thank you, Glenn, for leading us in worship. Uh, it's really good to see you guys. The weather is so different than last weekend. Um, boy, it was chilly last weekend. We were at a mad scramble to to find blankets and and such. Uh, and so, but uh, the weather's beautiful this morning. And we're glad that you're here. Uh, we are in our ninth sermon in the series called "What We Believe." And uh, beginning in January, we we casted vision for the church, and our vision was to go deeper, to grow closer, and to reach wider in 2020. We were challenging you, and it's been a challenge, hasn't it? We were challenging you to grow deeper in your knowledge of God and His Word, uh, deeper in prayer, and deeper in your dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and deeper into Christ's likeness. Uh, we wanted you to grow closer to, to one another as we seek to strengthen our relationships in the church. And, and we, were, we do this by committing to meet together and pray with one another and encourage one another the best we can in the middle of a pandemic, right? And then we wanted to reach wider, to extend the love, grace, mercy, and truth of Jesus to everyone that God has placed in your life. That mission doesn't stop. Many of you know that 
we've had this bookmark uh, available to everybody in the church, but we've put it out because we can't hand much things out. But uh, this is the, your one. Who is your one? Who has God placed strategically in your life that needs to hear the truth and mercy and love of Jesus? And so this series is one of the ways that we are taking you guys deeper by teaching you the essentials of the Christian faith. We're also using this as an opportunity to create a teaching series for new believers and members of our church uh, beyond this series. And so it's going to be available online along with curriculum that we can provide uh, people that they also can go, go deeper, grow closer, and reach wider in their lives. <clears throat> Last week, Tim brought you uh, uh, what we believe about the cross, and today I'm going to teach you what we believe about the resurrection, that Jesus <clears throat> is alive. And so you know this is a really big deal for Christianity. This sets us apart from every other religion. In fact, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. And I would say that everything hinges off of this one event, and it really is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And so for those of you that have hung on to in this series for us, I'm deeply grateful for that. If you've missed a few weeks, as always, everything is online along with the study guide. <clears throat> but if you have your study guide, uh, your sermon notes, the first essential belief that we want you to know is this. I'm going to bring this a little closer. Can we do that? All right. So we have that up? Or did we, I just unplug it? That's great. So... Welcome to me. I'm not a techie person, and I just ruined the whole thing. That's awesome. So, so uh, what we believe, if you have your notes, here it is. What, we believe that apart from the resurrection, that's your word that you're filling in the blank, apart from the resurrection, there is no Christianity. The, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. The events that hold Christianity together are the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You see, Jesus, here we are. Woohoo! Thank you, Larry. Larry and Glenn to the rescue. Don't touch it ever again, Pastor Mike. Got it. So we believe that apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there is no Christianity. The events that hold Christianity together are the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is pivotal and an essential belief in the Christian faith. You see, Jesus was a good teacher, but Christianity is not based solely on his teachings. Jesus was a great miracle worker, but Christianity is not based solely upon his miracles, with the exception of this one, right? Jesus was a great servant. He fed the poor. He cared for the marginalized. He cared for the weak when he lived here on earth. But Christianity is not focused or founded on these acts of kindness. All of these are incredibly important, and they teach us a great deal about Jesus and I don't mean to minimize them or trivialize them because we do a lot of work in our community, don't we? But you can, but, but you can be a non-Christian. This is the important truth about this. If you can be a non-Christian and believe that Jesus was a great teacher, that he did miracles, and that he helped a lot of people. You can be a non-Christian and believe that. Many non-Christians do believe that. The distinguishing feature that, that, that of what it means to be a Christian is to believe that he rose from the grave and that Jesus Christ is alive. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes in length of the importance of the resurrection. And this matters to us because of what he says in verse 17. He says this, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are, and you are still in your sins. 
then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, we of all people, most to be pitied. Basically what he's saying here, if Christ is still dead and he hasn't rose from the grave, then we should be pitied because we're foolish to believe in Jesus. We're foolish to be a Christian. We're foolish to confess our sins to Jesus because he's dead. Why would we believe in, 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 that there's hope in this life or even after this life if Jesus is still in the grave? And this is what Paul was saying. We should be pitied if Christ had not raised from the dead. So my hope today is this, is that I will show you that the Christian belief in the resurrection is absolutely true and worthy of you trusting in it. And you should have confidence after this message to share these truths with others, knowing that there is good biblical and historical reasons why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through a few questions. And the first one is this, what is the resurrection? Let me define this for a minute. It's not life after death. It's not like someone died and went to a better place. We say that a lot when people die, right? That is not resurrection. There's three things that can, that, that can define resurrection. One, you're alive. Like we have a lot of living illustrations right now, right? Many of you are alive, even if you've already fallen asleep because you do that all the time in my sermons, you're still alive, right? You're still Well, check the pulse to the person next to you and, and, and we'll see. But there's living examples that we are alive. And then you die. And, and nobody illustrate that, please, right now. Like we don't need that to be illustrated. We know. We know what death is. You just cease living. You're dead. And you're dead for a while, for a period of time. Not like 30 seconds and then you come back. That's, that, that's resuscitation, not resurrection, right? And so you're, you're alive, and then you die, and you're dead for a while. Jesus was dead for three days. And then the third thing that would define a resurrection is that you come back to life, that you are, are back to a physical life, that you're walking, you're eating, you're talking, you're fully restored to physical life. And if we look at Jesus' resurrected body, it's not some, the same condition of his physical life. And that's good news, because we heard last week that Jesus uh, was beaten horribly, right? And so there is this perfected life that Jesus demonstrates. Jesus was able to, like, walk into rooms that were locked doors. Like, he walked through walls. And, and so this is different. This is a, this is a glorified body. This, uh, Jesus had a glorified, resurrected body, but it also showed his scars, his crucifixion scars. He did that to be a witness to who he was. Right? And so there's consistency in his physical resurrected body, but he was recognizable. He was not recognizable the last time we talked about him, right? When we talked about the flogging and the cross. And so there is this miracle when it comes to a resurrected body. And so for us, that's good news because a lot of us have, have problems that we're dealing with with our body. Your body will be perfected one day. Jesus was in the state of perfection that was apart from the kind of suffering and limitations that the normal body seems to endure this side of the resurrected life. And so how do we come, next question is this, is how do we come to believe in the resurrection? And so the next reason we believe in the resurrection is this, number two, that we believe in the resurrection because it was prophesied in advance. And so the book of Isaiah is known as the fifth gospel. Because it, it, it really predicts the whole life of Jesus. Because 700 years before Christ, Isaiah prophesied the virgin birth, his sinless life, his betrayal, his death, his crucifixion, 
his burial in a rich man's tomb, and his resurrection. I'm not going to share the whole book of Isaiah. Somebody say amen. But I will share Isaiah 53. And listen to this. It says, all like we, all like sheep, we have gone astray. That's us. That's all of humanity. All of us. We have turned everyone to his own way. This is sin, right? And the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. It was a, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He could have stopped it. He could have stopped this. He's God, right? He could have stopped this, but he didn't. He, he had a mission that he was on. He, his mission was to die for the church. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, he's going to die, dead. He's cut off, right? Stricken for our transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man. There's the prophecy of, of the tomb that Jesus would be in. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. So he was not a sinner. He did not sin at all. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was put, uh, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for the guilt, he shall see his offspring. Look at that. He's going to see his offspring again after the offering. That means Jesus is going to come back to life. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So Jesus is going to live out of the anguish of his soul. He shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. See, he's saying, I'm going to save a bunch of people because of this happening. Because of I came, I was crushed, I was afflicted, and they will be saved. Isaiah prophesied Jesus' sinless life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection 700 years before he came to earth. And this is one of the reasons why we believe so deeply in the resurrection. There was this anticipation from Old Testament believers that this was going to happen. And seven years after he prophesied it, it did. The next reason that we believe in the resurrection is number three in your notes. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus because he himself predicts it repeatedly. Now, this is all over the New Testament Gospels. I'm not going to share all of those. I'll share a few from the book of Mark, and I'll do it quickly. It says this in Mark 8. It says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And then we read in Mark 9, it says this. He was teaching his disciples, and he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. And then finally in Mark 10, he says this, and, and he, took up the 12 aside, he took the twelve aside and told them what, he was, what was going to happen to him. We, will, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and, and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, much like we heard about last week. But three days later, he will rise. So Jesus was absolutely clear that not only would he die an innocent death, but three days later he would live. And we discussed what led to Jesus' death last week. 
that he was crucified on a cross by a professional executor, right? That this means that this guy's job was to kill people. This was his specialty. He declares Jesus dead. Jesus didn't come off the cross alive and they resuscitated him. This dude was dead. As a matter of fact, to ensure that he was dead, they take, this man takes a spear and he runs it, the Bible records, through underneath his rib cage, uh, uh, piercing the, the heart sack underneath his rib cage, and then he pulls it out and water and blood flowed from Jesus' body. He was dead. The point here is this, is that he was most assuredly dead. Jesus was then wrapped in spices and linen cloth. He was put into a large, he was in a grave where a large stone was rolled over the entrance. Guards were posted by the government to protect the burial site of Jesus from any tampering. They actually put a government seal on this stone to, to essentially declaring that if you tamper with this tomb, you too will be held accountable to it. Again, the point is this, is that we are not questioning the fact that Jesus died. He died, and he was certainly dead. He didn't get resuscitated. He was dead. So, but is there any proof about, for this resurrection? The next thing I want you to write down is this. <clears throat> Number four, we believe in the resurrection of Jesus because three days later, Jesus returned triumphant, victorious over death. Returned death. We believe in the resurrection because Jesus three days later, returned triumphant and victorious over this. The Gospels record this uh, <laughs> account in every one of them. And I'm going to give you the account from Luke. Do, do, does anybody know what Luke's vocation was? He was a doctor. He was Dr. Luke. In fact, this is his job. Like doc, Dr. Luke understands what a dead person is, don't you think? He understands what it means to be alive. And here, Dr. Luke, the physician, is giving us a report of the resurrection of Jesus in Luke 24. It's kind of like his medical report, right? He's writing this out, and this is what he says. He says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the, wo the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found that the tomb was rolled, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they when they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, listen to this, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. Jesus told them over and over and over and over again. They're, they're shocked that he's not here. Remember that he has told you that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and then on the third day he would rise again. Then they remembered his words. Sometimes we just need to be reminded, amen? When they came back from the tomb, they told all things to the eleven and to all of the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and the mother of James, which is the mother of Jesus, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to be to them, like nonsense. Like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying on themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. What's going on, guys? Like, well, you're not believing the women. You're, not, you're doubting this whole thing yourself. Listen, it's not a sin to doubt this. Like, Jesus didn't come back and, and reveal himself 
physically and go, you guys should have never not not trusted me. That's a problem. He didn't say that. But shortly after this account of Luke, he's appearing to people, and he is very much alive. This leads me to the next section that we believe in the resurrection. Why we believe. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus because there were eyewitnesses to who declared that Jesus was alive. Over the course of 40 days before he ascended back into heaven, Jesus appeared to small groups, to large groups, to individuals, to families, to friends, to foes, to strangers. Jesus revealed himself to a lot of people. And people embraced him. They ate with him. They dialogued with him. Uh, they, he, he was physically alive. Jesus ate food while he was, when he came back. Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians this, in our opening verses, in this, it says this, For I delivered to you, as of the first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And He appeared to Cephas, and then the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time, at one time, most of them who are still alive. So He's saying, hey, look, if you don't believe me, go check with them. Most of them who are still alive. Some have fallen asleep. Then then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. And so Jesus here appeared to lots of people, fully resurrected, physically resurrected people. Now, 1 Corinthians is considered to, by, by many scholars to be one of the first New Testament uh, uh, books written. And some would say that the resurrection is a myth, it's a fable, it's a, it's a legend, it's a folklore that came after, like, like hundreds of years after Jesus was on the earth. But here he says in just a few short verses that, hey, you, there was people here that are still alive. If you don't want to take my word for it, go talk to them. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that are still alive who witnessed the risen Christ. And so go Go ask them for yourself. Now, there was a few people that began testifying to the resurrection of Jesus that had not Jesus risen, they would have never testified to it. The first one I want to bring up is Thomas. Do you know what his nickname was? Thomas the Doubter, right? We read his story in John 20. It says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he, <clears throat> but he said to them, unless I see his hands and, mark, and the mark of, uh, of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, here it is, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. That's like Jesus going, boo, got you, Thomas, right? Boo, (laughs) hey, I'm here, peace be with you. Boom, heart falls on the ground. And then he says this because he loves Thomas. He says, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand out and and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas confessed and answered him. He says, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, Thomas didn't initially believe it. He needed some convincing. Some of you are doubters like Thomas, and that's okay because this is hard to believe. It's not every day that someone rises from the dead, right? 
<clears throat> but here, you need to trust Thomas's testimony. That's why God has given this and included this in our scriptures. He saw Jesus. He felt the scars. He felt the wound in his side, and he then worshiped him. He worshiped him. A doubter is now a believer. And if you're a doubter today, take the testimony of Thomas and believe in the Lord Jesus. Who else was there that were unlikely worshipers of Jesus? Just think about his mom and his brothers, right? James here is mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 and that, that Jesus is now revealed to James. I don't have to convince, I don't think any of my brothers would ever worship me as God because why? They know me, right? And, and, and my mom? Oh, no way, man. My mom knows my sin more than I know my sin. Like she pointed it all out, right? Your moms and your parents, you point your, you know your kids' sin. And what would it take for you, your kids, to worship you as God? What would it take for your parents or your brothers to worship you as God? It would take something as miraculous as a resurrection. Like you have power over the grave, but it would also take a sinless life prior to that. And none of us can do that. None of us. Jesus' mom worshipped her son as God because he resurrected. We see this in, in the book of Acts where she is numbered with the church who worshipped him. There's also the Apostle Paul, the least likely man to worship Jesus. The least likely guy. He's like the Osama bin Laden of his day, right? He, was to he totally oppressed Christians. He totally opposed Jesus Christ. He, he wreaked havoc on the lives of God's people. He oversaw the murder of early church members uh, like Stephen. Uh, he is absolutely not predisposed in any way to believe in Jesus. And then he saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw Jesus alive. And then he becomes a Christian. Not only a Christian, but a pastor. And not only a pastor, but a church planner. And not only a church planner, he writes most of the New Testament. And this is the guy that was least likely to be a follower of Jesus. He himself repeatedly suffered and died for the cause of the resurrected Christ. So this is the biblical evidence of the resurrection. Any pastor can teach you this. But what about the circumstantial evidence of the resurrection? This leads me to my next point. After Jesus appeared to the disciples, <clears throat> they were transformed, that's your word, from cowards to bold witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. After Jesus appeared to the disciples, they were transformed from cowards to bold witnesses of the resurrected Jesus. These guys were the ultimate cowards. They really were. They were all looking out for themselves. Uh, immediately after Jesus was arrested, tried and convicted and died, they went into the room and locked the door and hid because they were afraid that they too, because they were associated with Jesus, would suffer the same consequences. So they hid out. They got in their bunker. They weren't coming out because they were afraid for their lives. Disciples, even like Peter, uh, when, when Jesus was going to be crucified, he denied G being associated with Jesus three times and one to a little girl. And so how much is this? He, he's a coward. And then after they saw the resurrected Jesus, they became very bold. Eleven of the twelve disciples all died mar uh, as martyrs of the faith. And, 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 if, and this was a choice. Like Peter was, was crucified upside down, and this was his choice because he refused to, be, to die like his Savior. He wasn't worthy of dying in the same position as a Savior. So he requested that they kill him and put him in this, on this cross upside down. John, the beloved, he was boiled alive, and by a miracle of God's grace, he doesn't die. <clears throat> He's the only one that was, was not murdered. But God, they try. 
They tried and tried and tried again. And because they couldn't kill him, they banished him to a prison where he could not preach no more. And that's where Jesus met him in his lowest, darkest day and gave him the revelation that we have, the book of Revelation that we have. How do you explain guys who absolutely were cowards becoming martyrs uh, uh, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, no longer, they, they no longer feared death like they once did because they now believe in a resurrected life. Do you see that? Knowing that you will live again will give you some boldness. If you're afraid of death, yeah, you're going you're gonna to recoil and not be bold. But if you believe that you're going to live again because your Savior is a resurrected God and He resurrects His church, then you will remain loyal and you will remain bold. The next reason we believe that Jesus rose from the dead is this. After the resurrection, the disciples remained loyal to Jesus as their Messiah. Okay, I need to breathe. I love this stuff, man. This is the most important message you will ever, ever, ever hear. This is it. This is what makes us Christians, you guys. You've got to understand it. Now, 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 listen, they were loyal to Jesus. Now, every so often, there's a number of people that, that, that will get really excited about someone, whether they're a religious leader or a political leader. But once that leader dies or fails or they lose the election, uh, nobody continues to back them up. Like, other than Nicole McGahee, there's not a huge following for George W. Bush. Like, really. Like, there's just not a lot of people following him, you know? And, 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 and some of you are going, who's that? And that's my point, right? You just don't know him anymore, right? But, but once a leader dies, there's nobody following him. And if had Jesus simply died, no one would have cared. We would have, the, the people that were stayed devoted to Jesus, they stayed devoted to him because he lives. Nobody stays devoted to a religious leader that dies. You guys will not follow me after I die. You won't. But you can follow Jesus because he lives. There is no explanation. Uh, uh, to, there's no reason to explain the loyalty and the devotion from the disciples apart from the resurrection. You follow a living God. The next reason is this. We believe in the resurrection. The disciples never recanted their belief in the resurrection to their own detriment. Now look, man, if... If the resurrection was a lie, they picked a horrible lie to tell. They, you don't, I don't know about you, but when I lie, I lie for my benefit. Like these guys lie to their detriment. It would be like me, like there was a terrorist act that happened in our city, and I didn't do it, but I called the cops and went, hey, that terrorist act, it was me. I would never do that because it would lead to my detriment. These guys, they do this. Uh, why would, why would if it was a lie, would they knowingly do that, knowing that they were going to be arrested, beaten, and even killed? It doesn't make any sense. These guys had nothing to gain by lying or fabricating the resurrection. They had no financial, political, or spiritual gain at all. Additionally, the, the, the church also is known for their sacraments, right? We, we celebrate communion, and, and last week, we're going to do it again this week because it's the first of the month. Right? In the sacraments of communion and baptism, communion is remembering the death of Jesus, while baptism is remembering the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection is shown in baptism as Christians are placed under the water, just as Jesus was pl placed in the tomb. And as Jesus rose, the Christian is brought out of 
the water, representing and remembering the resurrection. We have people, I can't wait, we've got to figure this out. We have people waiting to be baptized. And we gotta, we're going to figure this out, and we're going to get them baptized if we have to wear, like, plastic suits, man, but, but, or, or scuba gear. Oh, scuba gear would be fun. All right. That would be super fun. Let's see if that's in the budget. All right. <laughs> but, but why would communion and baptism be so absolutely essential in the life of the church apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? This is why we do those. And so next and perhaps most compelling reason, uh, and there's two more so that you're tracking with me, next and most compelling reason we believe in the resurrection is this, that after the resurrection, Christianity began, and for over 2,000 years, they have seen a powerful, they've seen powerful growth and life-changing transformation in the lives of Christians. It's interesting to think that today a few billion people on earth uh, call themselves Christians. I was taken back the other day, like, how much is a billion? It's one million million. That's a lot of people, and there's a few billion today that call themselves Christians. You see, every uh, effect has a great cause, and the question is how could you have the effect of Christian faith without something as magnificent and monumental as the resurrection? I mean, this started with 120 scared people in an upper room, and today we have a few billion people around the globe that call themselves Christians, and they worship Jesus, the risen Lord, as God. And he is above all, <laughs> above all, like the most influential man in history. And, and he is worshipped as God by more people than any other God in the world history. And again, this raises the issue of the burden of proof. One of the, one of the great non-Christian historical uh, evidences uh, for the resurrection comes from the ancient historian Josephus. Here's what he says. Now, there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, it would be if it would be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of, of wonderful works, think miracles, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him both many of the Jews and many of the Gentiles. He was the Christ, the anointed one of God, not saying he is God. And, and when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, had condemned him on the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive again on the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold. These and 10,000 other wonderful things concerning him and the tribe of Christians, so named from him, are not extinct today. And so you have Josephus, a non-Christian, employed by the state to be the historian, says that Jesus died on a cross, that he, that he lives because he rose, and people are loyal to him to this day because he resurrected back to life. And this is why Christianity exists today, 2,000 years later, and that we haven't died. The church has not died. It's because Jesus is alive, that he died, he was buried, and he rose again, and he is alive right now. He ascended back to heaven. He is seated on the throne. He is ruling as King and Lord and God and Savior. He hears your prayers because he is alive. He, he, he saves people from their sins because he is alive. He is preparing a place for each and every one of us in his kingdom because he is alive. You see, the truth that we need to embrace here is that Jesus became a man. He lived without sin. He died in our place on the cross, was buried. Three days later, he rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and he is returning again to judge the living and the dead, and he will establish his eternal kingdom right here on earth. This is what is going 
to happen. It's like we all need to get on the bus because God is God and he's ruling and reigning and this is what's going to happen. We absolutely believe this at Encounter and we want as many people on that bus as possible because this is what God is doing. Like, like this election is not going to thwart what God is doing. Like, like God is doing this. <clears throat> and what I want to say to you is that we, we can't, you cannot remain neutral on this. This is an essential truth that you have to decide for yourself. Do you believe that Jesus is alive or do you believe that he's dead? Do you believe that he is, is Lord, God, and Savior, that he's alive, ruling, and reigning, and he will return one day to judge the living and the dead or not? This is, this is the distingu distinguishing feature of what it means to be a Christian. And this leads me to my final point. Uh, what is the hope of the resurrected Jesus? Is this. That Jesus is the only one, that's it. That Jesus is the only one to experience death and to come back to tell us what awaits on the other side of death. This is so important. That Jesus knows what, what, is, what awaits on the other side. No other religious leader on earth has ever came back to life to give something contrary. There, this is a fact that Jesus is the only one to embrace this fact. Everything else is speculation. If you're a religious leader, you've never gone to death and then came back to life to tell us what it's like. Jesus did. He is the only one. Because Jesus alone died and came back to tell us what is going on. The Bible says this, just as people were destined to die once, and then after that face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he appeared a, a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. It is very clear that on the other side of death, is there's this judgment that God is talking about here. In John's Gospel, Jesus says this, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son as, just, as the, just as they honor the Father. Here's the truth about this. This means that you and I, when we die, it's not the end of us. It's not the end of us. Many of you think that we are in the land of the living, but no, we are in the land of the dying, and our soul will go and live on. It will continue to exist, and it will be either in the place where, with God where we will be blessed, or it will be a, a place that we're separated from God, and the Bible says that that is a place of cursing and torment, that there will be a day when Christians will experience a rejoining of our spirit, the immaterial aspect of our being with our body, our physical body will rise just like Jesus in, in a glorified state, resurrected as a physical body. But, and then that day we'll stand before Jesus. That day we will be judged. Those who are Christians will receive judgment based upon the works that they have done in this life for God. And at this time, Jesus will hand out rewards uh, along with a certain amount of dignity and honor uh, uh, in his e eternal kingdom. But for non-Christians, it's going to be a different kind of judgment. It's going to be a judgment that comes with punishment for the sins that they have committed in this life. And then they will be sentenced to eternal, continuous, physical torments of hell. I mean, and this isn't my words, man. This is Jesus' words. And Jesus spoke more about hell and judgment than any other subject in the Bible. And the reason why he does that is because he doesn't want anybody to go there. He doesn't want anybody to be tormented in hell. He wants everybody to, to, to be, for, be forgiven and to receive him. This is the way Peter writes it. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's talking about the day of judgment. 
as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, this is why it's so important to believe in Jesus. And this is why we encourage, continue to encourage and equip you to share the good news that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, you, we have to be very careful who our God is. We have to be very careful what our religion is. We have to be extremely careful uh, when determining where we will spend eternity. And, and what do you base that upon? Eternity is forever, and forever is a very, very, very long time. And we have to take this to heart. You'll either spend it with Jesus in blessing, or you'll spend it without Him in torment. We want for all of you, because we love you, to contend with this and come to your own conclusion. Do you belong to Jesus or not? Do you, have you put your faith in the risen Jesus or not? Speaking of Jesus, Paul says this. He says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You see, apart from Jesus, death is your enemy. Death is your enemy. Before I became a Christian, I was afraid to die. And particularly because of the, the, the precarious circumstances I constantly put my in, I, my, myself in, I always had a good reason that I might be able to die. But today, I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to die, I mean, I'm, but I'm not afraid to die. I've got a beautiful wife, I've got amazing kids, I've got, I love this church, I love what God is doing in and through me. I don't want to die right now, but I don't worry about death because I know exactly what's going to happen. I know exactly. I will, my last breath on earth will meet Jesus face to face. And he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I will see him. He will accept me as a friend and not a foe. He, I know that he has died for my sins and I belong to him. And I know that I will spend eternity with him in perfection because that's what the Bible affirms. And I also know that I didn't do anything to earn such privilege. Nothing. But it was all because of what he did. Jesus lived he died, he rose from the grave, assuring our spot in his kingdom that many can be saved and adopted into his family. Welcome to Bellflower. Jesus said this, if you don't take my word for it, take his word for it. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked this question. And I'm asking this question to you. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? There's a song called Because He Lives. I'm not going to sing it, um, or maybe we should. What do you think? Uh, it says, God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. Come on, Carol, you should do this better than me. <laughs> he came to live, heal and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because He lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know oh, oh, he holds the future and life is worth living just because he lives. Are you afraid? Are you afraid in any aspect of your life right now? You know, because it's interesting, the Bible says, and this is not in your notes, Cindy, but the Bible says that, that the same resurrected power lives in us. What, what in your life is, is sin destroying and, and needs Jesus so to, that, that the new life can come? Is it your marriage? 
Is it your workplace? Is it, is it your, 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 your siblings? Is it your kids? Where is sin destroying your relationship? Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, wants to bring life in that right now. Right now. You and I can actually live, because of the resurrection, because Jesus' resurrection, we could actually live lives with freedom and joy and passion, knowing that, that Jesus is in the business of raising the dead back to life. In his new kingdom, there'll be no more sickness, no more pain, no more disease, no more cancer, no more injustice, no more evil, no more pandemic, no more war. It was interesting, me and Glenn were talking this week, and we were talking about all of the funerals that I officiated here at Encounter. And, and, and here's the deal. Some of you are here today that I will have the privilege of serving you at your memorial. I will have the privilege of serving you at your memorial. And, and if you know Jesus, this is going to change the way we remember your life. The way we embrace your death and the kind of hope that it gives all of us. But I can't say that for you if you're not a believer. If you do not believe in Jesus. You know, I praise God that this is not it. That there's another world after this one. And we should work for the health of the, of the community, the equality, for justice, for mercy, for stewardship of our communities. But you have to know this. As long as sin is here and the curse is present, this will never be heaven. It doesn't matter how much we do. It doesn't matter who we elect. It doesn't matter how loudly we protest. It doesn't matter how passionately we try. There's still sin, curse, death, and the effects of sin. And this is why I love this is why I love so much about this is what I love so much about the resurrection of Jesus because it shows us that there's so much there's so much more to come that in Jesus's kingdom he is ruling and reigning over his new creation there is no curse there is none of the effects of sin it's a perfect creation not polluted or contaminated in any way shape or form people living in together in harmony in love together across racial lines across generational lines across socioeconomic lines across gender lines, across political lines, hallelujah, uh, across national lines, and even across cultural lines. It's a world that everyone is wanting. But it's a world that awaits us. It's not here yet. We have to have this hope. And if you long for this world, that desire in you has come from Jesus. And you should work diligently in this life that your life will reflect that life. And so does your marriage reflect the resurrected life? Is there grace abounding? Is there forgiveness in your, in your marriages? Is there forgiveness in your homes, in your kids? Do they know that you believe in a resurrected Savior, a Savior who saves and brings life? Or are we dictators? And, and do, do sins get punished all the time, but never forgiven or redeemed? Bring life into your home, believing that you are a resurrected child of God. If you put all of your hope in this world, you are going to leave angry, bitter, and disappointed and frustrated. And this is because you don't believe that there's more to come. I have no idea where I'm at. Amen. Well, look, <clears throat> there is a new life to come. It does bring us hope. If you're disappointed and frustrated in this world, it's maybe because you're not focusing on what Christ has promised us. Believing in the resurrected Jesus does give us hope. Hope that is more than, than that there is more than in this life. Hope that when you die, you will have a new resurrected life with Christ. And our hope is that you would put your trust in Jesus and that we would see you in that life. And in the meantime, we are called to live, love, and care and serve like Jesus did. We're here to share the good news that Jesus is alive. 
and, and, and your responsibility is to share it with everybody that God has put in your circle, trusting that God has the power and he's mighty to save. We, we want to help you do that. Um, I, I put together, uh, just we published a little uh, booklet last year. Um, it's called Practical Evangelism. And right now, if you go on Kindle, you can get it for free for, until Thursday. We're, we're doing a free promotion. You can have this on your Kindle for free. And, and it gives you, it's really, really simple, really short, really practical ways to love and to serve and to care for your neighbors who don't know Jesus. And so we want you to get that today um, so that you can be a part of growing God's kingdom on earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, that uh, for all who are here, who are listening, who are watching, I pray, God, that they would trust in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, we declare that you are alive, and we are meeting today because this is a resurrected Sunday. We celebrate this, your resurrection, every single Sunday, and that's the reason why we meet. We're meeting as a church because uh, you are alive, Lord Jesus. We meet because we hope in our hearts, in our songs, on our lips, because we know that you are alive and that you defeated Satan's sin, death, hell, and the grave, and that you are a triumphant victor. We know that even through, though we were going to die, that when we believe in you, we will live forever. And so I pray, God, that everyone in the hearing of my voice will put their faith in you and they will meet you as a friend and not a foe. That it would be for blessing and not for judgment. That it would be for salvation and not condemnation. And I pray that each and every one of us would turn from our sin and we would trust in you. And Jesus, I thank you that, the word, that this is not it. That we have a great and wonderful future that awaits every single Christian. That you have, God, considered that, that we can be yours in your kingdom that is perfected. And Jesus, we long for that day. In the meantime, God, we ask for your grace that we live as citizens of the kingdom. That we live proclaiming the good news about Jesus and that many will come to faith in him. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.